Welcome to the It's in Real Estate podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm a broker here in Salt Lake City for Grant Real Estate. Today on the show, we're going to talk about zoning laws, and we're going to talk about where first-time homebuyers might still have the best chance of owning a home. So stay with us. Today on the show, we've got Ryan, my producer here at Mountaineer Studios with us as usual. Ryan, thanks so much for being on the show. Today on Market Watch, we're going to be talking about the luxury market. Now, I don't know if initially Salt Lake City comes to mind for you on the luxury market. But first of all, when I say luxury market, does anything spark your mind as to what that means? Um, just thinking of all the the big old houses up on the bench, as we call it here. Yeah, so here we have the Rocky Mountains. We've got the Wasatch Mountains in the Rocky Mountains. And any time that we put any homes up further up on that mountain, we call that the bench because there's some leveled off places there from where a giant lake used to be, the Bonneville Lake that used to be here, and it's now smaller and is the Great Salt Lake. But yes, so those houses are in part dealing with the luxury market. Now, if you were to think of the luxury market in the United States, what cities come to your mind? Um, Beverly Hills. So, 100%. Um, like I think of like the Hamptons. Yep. That comes to mind. Um, what I think? Uh, what's the one by Seattle? For some reason, that always sticks out to me. There's going to be like a, what is that one out there? Is that Bellevue? Probably that one sounds yeah. that one sounds fancy. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> sounds fancy. <laughs> um, Menlo Park in yeah, Northern Menlo, California. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's those are all legitimate cities that are on this list. So, as I do research for each podcast, as I write these episodes, I'm always researching different aspects of the United States and how that plays into our valley here in Utah, because this podcast is really mostly relevant to those that live in the area that I live in. And that's what I speak to. What interests me the most was how on earth did we make the top 10 list for luxury markets in the United States? Now, Salt Lake City is number nine on that list. I don't know how many people would have thought Utah would be in the luxury market, but to define it, it is going to be the top most expensive, like 1% of homes available in each city. In our market, it's going to be anywhere of a million dollar home or more, which we're seeing more and more of. But not only are we seeing is it the most top 1% of expensive homes, it's going to be of those homes, how quickly do they move? How quickly do they go from for sale for a ridiculous amount to being sold? Now, what's interesting about our luxury market and again, for those listening, you may think, well, why does this matter? Why does this pertain to us? Okay, this is why. The reason why Salt Lake is on this at all is for three specific areas of Salt Lake. Park City, bet you couldn't have guessed that one, right? The Avenues, which is a specific neighborhood of about 132 acres uh, just north on the North Hill of Salt Lake City. Okay, it's a specific grid of properties that are very well known and the views are spectacular and holiday which is a suburb south of salt lake city that 
is very notorious. Mitt Romney has a compound there. Very affluent individuals who have a lot of money down Walker Lane specifically have these monstrosity of mansions and homes. They're not just like the ones I show on my feed. <laughs> Those are baby million dollar properties compared to these many, many, many millions of dollars worth. But in our luxury market, the average home that's being sold is $4.2 million. And the reason why we're even involved at all on this list is because initially people thought, oh, I'm going to have a second home in Salt Lake City. The Avenues isn't far from Park City or the ski resorts in Salt Lake City. Holiday is right next to Big Cottonwood Canyon and just down from Little Cottonwood Canyon where four of the most spectacular ski resorts in the world are, specifically Snowbird, right? That's probably, that and Alta are probably the world-class ones that we have. And then, of course, Park City and Canyons combined to be one of the largest ski resorts in the country. And so Park City is this place where people go and they have their second property. But here's what happened. Now we have Silicon Slopes, which is our, our Menlo Park, right? Our tech district which is bringing in so many people for jobs, not to mention in other states, they are, we are way more relaxed here about our COVID-19 restrictions. Specifically, people left where they were, not only because they were working from home, but they couldn't leave their home at all. People were working from home here, but by and large, our lifestyle was still pretty relaxed compared to other states. And then people who were thinking, well, if I'm going to go work from home, I might as well live primarily in an area that's outdoorsy. So if you're in New York or if you're in L.A. and you're trapped in the city life, there's no wonder why those two cities lost so many people to states like Texas and Utah because they know that they can spend more time outside. And not to mention, in terms of the luxury market, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a new tower called the Astra Tower. It just broke ground downtown in Salt Lake. It's going to be the new tallest building in the state of Utah, and it's all luxury units. It's all it's all residential. Wow. And so that is going to be done in 2024. So in two years, that beautiful new building, which will be taller than the church office building, that is going to house luxury units, which, again, people are going to use for business reasons, uh, relocation, living, having a second residence for, you know, our athletes. Some of our athletes do live in these places right next to the stadium, which this is going to be by. So not only do we have a desirable location because we had this great area with all these colleges and all these students and people want to live here, but now people have caught wind that, yeah, this is a nice area. It's great for outdoors, not only for skiing, but year round. And people who initially thought that they were going to have a second house here are now residing here prim full-time, primarily. So that is what's driving these prices up because not only are they buying the $4 million homes, but now they're buying the homes that probably should be listed at 700000 that we're listing for one point two just because we can, and they're buying them. So this is where part of when people go, David, you show us these ridiculous properties on your Instagram and TikTok. Who's buying these houses? Uh, these these are they that wow. are buying these houses. Wow. So that does it for Market Watch. 
in our next segment, I'm going to be talking uh, more deeply into zoning laws. And if you're from Utah, you may have an understanding of why zoning laws are important. So stay with us. In this next segment, I want to talk about zoning. Part of the reason is because I was driving to Farmington from Salt Lake City to visit my brother. And if you've ever driven through North Salt Lake and Bountiful, there's this refinery on the west side of the freeway that is something out of like a Terminator movie. It's got stacks on stacks. It's got fire coming out. It is an eyesore. And then on the right side, the east side is beautiful. Bountiful is beautiful. They've got incredible views of the Salt Lake. They've got really nice neighborhoods. But anytime that they look west toward the sunset, it's looking at this refinery. And I'm thinking, why are so many spots on our highways and in our some of our major like thoroughfares, why, why are they such eyesores? Do any such eyesores specifically come to your mind? I mean, you've been here a long time like I have. Yeah, I think that the the I-15 is not a pretty place to drive. And I think like I'll even hear people say like, well, when people are, I don't know, when people discover Utah, I guess that's kind of cliche, <laughs> but when they discover Utah, that's when you get away from the I-15 specifically or from State <laughs> Street specifically. Yeah. And you get up into the mountains or you get, you know, into these neighborhoods that are in these very, you know, picturesque places. Um, yeah, we don't. It doesn't show a lot of the beauty of Utah if you're just driving down I-15. But yeah, you drive past those refineries. I think down in Utah County, there's also Geneva Steel, and there's like right. the the power plants right up on the freeway, and Big it kind time. of it looks like a it looks like you're driving through some industrial wasteland. It does. And when my parents were here, and Geneva was even bigger than it is now, where Vineyard now is, yeah. where they built these neighborhoods, they said that thing was in full force and like billowing plumes of smoke were going yeah. into the air. And we already, we have that somewhat with the, the power plant out there. But what's interesting about zoning is zoning not only helps not make our areas look crazy and unappealing, but it's also part of the problem as to why we don't have enough housing. And so I'll explain it. So there's four main reasons for zoning. And honestly, we didn't even have zoning until 1908. They kind of think that the, the, the school of thought on this is that L.A., Los Angeles, was the first to enact any type of zoning ordinance in 1908. Now, if you've been to L.A., you could understand why. L.A. is a monster of a city. It's completely different than New York City. And it is, in my opinion, an utter nightmare to try and get around. I mean, how far away did you grow up from L.A.? About 30 miles away from L.A. And how long would it take you to get around or get to it or get around Oh, you'd have to plan weeks around it sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it's just you know it better than most. And so the reason why L.A. did it was because they realized with the growing city as big as it was and obviously as it was going to continue to get bigger – They didn't want harmful districts like industrial districts to be near residential districts. They didn't want certain business types to be close to certain residentials either. And they didn't want certain types of buildings to be built if they were going to impact the environment of those living around it. So they started enacting zoning laws in 1908. What's interesting is about eight years later in 1916, New York City did the same thing. They thought, 
we need to have more zoning laws. And the reason for that is, is because they have this building called the Equitable Building, which when it was built, blocked sunlight from like residences and windows. Like we joke about it now because it's literally everywhere. Like on Friends, the TV show, Joey opens his window and two feet away is a window. And that person is, you know, wakes him up every morning because he's singing, but he's in a completely different building. It's for this reason. They needed to start divvying up how big buildings were going to be and what types and where they were going to go. And so they enacted building ordinances. When the pioneers came through and settled the Salt Lake Valley, they set up a grid system based on a compass. They thought this would be the easiest way for us to set up a city. The avenues, specifically just north of that, were even a smaller grid, and it was divvied up into 10-acre lots. Now, if you go up there now, they're definitely not 10-acre lots. They are much, much smaller, and it got convoluted because they didn't have any zoning laws yet. And so part of our problem here in Salt Lake is that we have these massive, if you've been here, like every time I go back to Dallas to, to where I grew up, I forget how small the streets are, how narrow they are, and how you have to be polite with trying to let people through. Here in Salt Lake, in terms of street width, we are, no one beats us. Like we have just our residential roads because back in the day they had horse and buggy and in order for those horses and buggies to turn around, do U-turns or things of that nature, they needed wider roads. And so that took up a lot of the land that we now don't enjoy. And I'm seeing roads like down where I am in Sandy on 90th. I mean, they've had to redo the widths of those roads down there for those exact reasons. So there's four main reasons for zoning. I'm just going to go through these real quick so we can best understand what we're up against. And then I'm going to explain why this is important to everybody. So they divide land, number one, they divide land into regions, okay, or zones. And this corresponds to geographical areas on like a zoning map. So depending on where on a map you are, they're going to give certain restrictions based on what can be built there. Second, zoning laws specify what type of structures can be built or not built within each zone, kind of like I explained with New York and L.A., Third, zoning laws prescribe limits on the size and dimensions of each of those structures by the zone. So we call them offsets. So you can't just own land and build whatever you want right up to the property line. There's going to be restrictions on how far off of that property line you can build and how large of a structure that you can build. So you're not negatively impacting the value of the neighboring properties. And then fourth, it's to define the process by which local governments can grant permission for new development. And this is where we are impacted. We have zoning laws in Salt Lake City. Now, Salt Lake County, which comprises of Salt Lake City all the way down to the point of the mountain south near Draper, uh, it's got a, 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 just over a million people in that area, I'd say, based on everything that I've been reading so far. One of the things that I was reading that is a big pain point is that of the residential area that is zoned for residential, 88% of that is zoned only for single family housing. So not apartment complexes, that's called multi-use, and not townhouses, which 
is called middle housing. So technically we call that middle housing. We still define it online when we post these for sale as single family living, but really like it's not, it's, it's technically multi-use and these single family houses, they take up more space. You can only build so big. There's offsets. You can only build them so, so high. You have to get permission to, and you can't detract from the value of your neighbor. So the biggest issue that we're having right now is that we don't have anywhere else to build because if it's zoned 88% of that, that leaves a very small portion, just 12% for all of the other housing for the rest of us. So in your, Ryan, in your housing search, what has been your biggest hurdle in trying to find a house for your family? Because you rent right now. Yeah. Um, well, lots of hurdles, but lots of them are houses that are, you know, I don't know, not being able to find houses in the places that we want them to be, I guess. Big one. Um, which, I mean, it kind of sounds a little selfish. I'm like, why don't you have a house for me right here? But sometimes it doesn't work. Um, right. But then also the fact that, you know, places and in, in houses and places that are desirable seem to be, you know, those are the ones that are going up the quickest. And I think I might be kind of the way you're talking about this, like because there's less place to expand in some of these desirable places the, that just puts a huge premium on the houses that are already there. So to your point, the Salt Lake Valley, including Utah County, which is comprising of the other half of Draper, technically Lehigh, right? Point of the Mountain, all the way south to like Pace and Santa Quin area. None of these cities were really very well thought out. So the ones that actually had a plan Aside from Salt Lake City, Lehigh had a plan. The main part of it, the west side of I-15. Mm -hmm. Okay, It had an original plan. American Fork, it had an original plan. So did Pleasant Grove. That's why a lot of those streets kind of seamlessly go into each other. Provo, Orem really didn't. Even though Provo is a grid, it didn't have too much of a plan. Orem did not have a plan at all. And the reason for that was is because when they had all these other cities around it developing, Orem was like, we're mostly farmers. We're actually not even close to Main Street, which is now called State Street. And we're so far against the mountain that we really only need to go to the main city whenever we need to actually do business. So we're not going to worry about, we'll just develop as needed. Because of that, Orem... The stretch of U.S. Highway 89, by the way, which U.S. Highway 89 isn't one long road. It's technically broken up, but it's still technically 89. It starts in Flagstaff. It goes all the way to Canada. So the part in Orem, just that part of State Street in Orem is considered one of the ugliest stretches of road in the United States of America. Ryan, why do you think that is? I mean, you and I have driven it countless times. What would you say is the reason it's so ugly? Well, <laughs> um, I know that, that the big billboards is one thing. <laughs> I don't know why. I've never seen a street that has as many billboards as State Nobody street. Nobody have. Um, part of it, the part, the part that goes through Orem, everything's built on a weird angle yep. to State Street. So that's like they're weirdly too close to the street, but they're at a different angle than the street. And I think that's just like off-putting. But then it's also, it seems like there's just, it goes on forever. <laughs> So all three things actually are perfectly said. 
it is at an angle. It's because it's not going directly north. It's following the, the, the mountain, right? So it's following the road, and it's kind of in the shadow of I-15. So really close together, you have our major interstate. You have the old U.S. highway. And really, if you're living near it, uh, you're not living in the nice part. <laughs> this is why people want to go east. They want to go as close to the mountain as they can, or even far west. We have mountains, the Ochre Mountains out there. People want to go out there. But the reason why this is a problem, if you can believe it, because of no zoning laws, Orem now has what's considered the longest commercial district in the entire United States. Now, you may think there's bigger cities. Yeah, there are bigger cities. But no city has a, has a longer, unbroken, specifically commercial use zone only wow. than Orem. So I'm going to explain that real quick, and then I'll finish. A commercial district or commercial zone is any part of a city or town in which the primary like land use is commercial only. That includes shops, offices, theaters, restaurants, so on, as opposed to residential neighborhoods or industrial neighborhoods or other types. So Orem has this incredibly long stretch. If you've ever driven down it, you know it's got a million eyesores. These businesses have to promote themselves, but they're right on the street. It's a really wide street. And Linden, which is just north of that, was like, we're changing this. They've taken all the street signs down. Everything's pretty obscure from the street. You have to know where you're going. It's it's hidden. Uh, it's much more pleasant looking. And then it gets terrible again in Pleasant Grove. And American Fork has definitely upped its game. And then Lehigh has exploded. It's not ugly. It's just so busy. So the reason why it's important to have zoning laws is so that we don't have eyesores everywhere. And we have some irreparable damage here in Salt in Salt Lake and Utah counties that would make it hard for us to change over time. But the biggest problem that we're having is that the elected officials that are over the land use, their thought process is, if you don't build it, they won't come. So you want to look in certain areas. And we're asking, can you give us more land and designate it as middle housing or multi-use housing for residential because more than three quarters of it is just for single family houses on lots. So we don't have enough room for everybody. And that's their thought is great. We don't want everybody. We want to enjoy the lifestyle the way that we have it. But the problem is, is that only benefits those who can purchase or already purchased in those areas. And they're not thinking about the impact it's going to have on those coming. So if you're struggling to find a property in the areas that you like, and if you're struggling to know when it's going to change, well, it's only going to change when our elected officials understand that we want these certain areas to be allowable to build townhouses in and apartments in. I used to be very critical of what Harriman City is doing right now out in Salt Lake because they're just stacking as many people as they can in there. Now I get what the mayor's doing. The mayor is thinking, I'm trying to solve a problem. Please come to Harriman. We'll, we'll take you. you. You're not being taken in anywhere Hell else. The masses. Yeah, exactly. Come. And we will build you a property. Even daybreak, it's expensive, but they're building townhouses on townhouses because they know they're trying to fulfill a need. So if you're wondering what happened to our land, 
Why aren't there more of these types of properties and when are they going to come? This is why. It's because of how it was zoned and what these elected officials are choosing to do with the available land left over. That does it for this segment. Stay with us. In our next segment, I'm going to be talking to first-time homebuyers. Hey, where is one place that's nationally known as one of the few places around that you can still buy right now? So stay with us. All right. On our last segment, I, I want to talk about first-time home buyers, or honestly, any buyer who's really looking at buying the most affordable. So, I, a lot of my research I do on major websites such as Zillow and Realtor.com. They actually do a really good job of doing aggregated da- data, of taking in and making these lists and explaining how they came up with it. So, based on the incomes of individuals that are 24 to 35, so that's who they're thinking of as a first-time home buyer. Uh, and then with the number of available homes and the number of active listings. So that means that per thousand houses, these areas in the country have the most available homes right now for sale that are not being snatched up instantly. Number one on the list, we made it, Magna, Utah. Wow. Yeah. So in the country, this was not just a Utah thing. This was a a United States thing. And we are number one on the list. What they are claiming is that the average single family home is $355,000. So I just want to break this down real quick. Now, if you're interested in my videos, I'm going to be starting a segment called Financial Fridays on my Instagram and my TikTok. I started it last week. And I have a video out right now that explains, as I do a quick walkthrough of a townhouse in Bluffdale, Utah, about four things to consider when you're going to purchase a property. There's more things to consider than that, but those are the first four main things that I think would help a home buyer. In this situation, I'm going to be talking similar statistics, but you can go right now to my Instagram at It's Unreal Estate uh, or my TikTok at the same handle, and you'll see my, my little icon of me sitting there with my yellow background. And I go through and I explain, this is exactly how much money you're going to need to get off the ground to purchase, and this is how much money per month. I'm going to do that right now with this. So I get it. Magna, Utah, it's not glamorous. Okay, It's not in the luxury market. This is in the affordable market. It is pretty far west, and it's closer to the Great Salt Lake. It's not really known as an area people want to go to. But I will say this, even though we had a bunch of earthquakes there last year... (laughs) (laughs) Selling this. Great. I'm really selling it. Um, it has a lot of bungalows. So old style homes built in the 50s and 60s that are cute and they can be easily remodeled and made. And honestly, I've been out there a bunch with clients and it's pretty quaint. It's kind of like classic Americana. So when you think of like the Sandlot, the movie, the Sandlot, it kind of reminds me of that. And so at $355,000, What's it going to take for you to get in? Well, this is all it's going to take. If you're a first-time home buyer and you are bent on wanting to own property and don't know where, and you kind of given up on all the areas like Ryan did because he can't find the places <laughs> that he wants because he's being selfish, then with if you have a down payment of $12,500, that is enough for a down payment. Now, we also recommend 
because sellers are making zero concessions, meaning they are not giving up anything, they're not helping at all, then we suggest that you also save 1% for closing costs. 1% of the overall purchase price, in this case it would be about $3,500, to cover purchasing your loan. So when you get a loan for a property, those those they don't just give you the money. You actually have to buy that. And those closing costs that are associated with closing on a home are not just your down payment. You also have to pay the loan officer and the title officer. So we recommend about three to 4,000 in this case because it's 1% of, of the overall purchase price. If you're doing an FHA loan, that's how I came up with 12,500. Okay, that's three and a half percent of that price. And if you're doing an FHA loan, which is a government housing loan, the interest rate right now is 4.24%, which is still excellent. Don't listen to anybody. It's still very good. It's not three, it's not two, but it's still excellent. And your mortgage payment would be $1,686 per month all in. So that's going to include tax, title, insurance, everything but the utilities. I want everybody to feel capable of at least understanding the home buying process, even if they feel that it's not for them. Now, I've been driving down. I won't name names because I don't even care to. But I saw a billboard that said, homeownership is for everyone. I don't know if I agree with that. I think ownership is all based on how committed you are, right? Do you really want it? And does it suit your needs? Are you like myself and you're single with no family? It might be easier for someone like me to move into a fixer-upper, live in it while I'm fixing it, live in mag now, which is significantly further than where I am currently from you know everything else than it is for Ryan, who has a family, who has specific needs, who can't just live in a dump for a while and then pay a fortune for it. So homeownership is all based on your specific situation and your needs and how badly you want it. But if I can do anything for my audience, it's one thing. It's not to make fun of real estate and discourage you. It isn't. We do that to make light of it so that we're not always depressed but it's to educate you and arm you with understanding so that you are aware of the situation because many of you out there may think that this is beyond your reach and capability, and it's not. It's time to talk to a loan officer. It's time to understand where you are with your finances. That is step one. Do that first. Understand how your credit score is. How can you get that credit score up? We need that to buy cars and to buy houses, to get cell phone plans and to get good interest rates. Based on those things, once you know where you are financially, then you can make a plan financially and you can work to that end. But if all you ever do is work and your money always goes to somebody else, I don't blame you for getting depressed at this process. But if you want to join real estate and you want to start investing and just get in anywhere you can, uh, go to Magna. I can help you get there. We can take you out. We can look at some properties. Or if you see other properties between the three dollars and $400,000 range where you can put down between twelve dollars and $15,000 with about $5,000 extra in closing costs. So again, if you can afford about $20,000 out of pocket and a, around fifteen dollars to $1,700 a month, we can get you a home right now. And it may be modest, but in a few years, it'll be worth more and you can cash out that equity and you can get yourself something that you do want. Thanks so much for sticking with me today. 
Again, we talked about how the luxury market is affecting those that do have lots of money coming into our state and not just staying for vacation, but staying indefinitely. We talked about why it's so difficult to find places that we want to live and why aren't they building more of the types of houses we can afford. And then lastly, I talked about where you can go. may not be where you want to be. You might be afraid of earthquakes, but you can't afford it. And if you can't afford it, then you can own real estate and start playing in that game. Thanks so much for coming each week and listening. If there's any specific topic you'd like to hear about, please feel free to reach out to me. DM me at It's in Real Estate on my Instagram handle. I am very active on that and respond to everybody that replies to me. Uh, special thanks to Ryan here at the Mountain Air Studios here in Draper for all of the work that he does to get these episodes out. We will be back next week with more content. Thanks again. <laughs>